0: Welcome to, to the, the Rule Number, Number One podcast. One podcast. <laughs> oh, you sound, like you sound like you <laughs> sound you've smoked about two thousand cigarettes. Well,
1: it was a challenge I was undertaking. I really wanted a gruff, sexy voice for this oh, podcast. Oh god! Thing. Do
0: you know what though? Ten out of ten for effort. You still showed up to the recording, which is what matters. Uh, maximum
1: commitment always, How unless it been? involves going down to Bristol.
0: Yeah. <laughs> How have you been, shipping?
1: <laughs> yeah, good, mate. Good. We've, uh, well, I can't remember the last time we sat down and did one of these, a, a few weeks at least. But we've, um, what have I been up to? We went to Cheltenham on Friday, didn't we? Oh, my we?
0: God. We did go to Cheltenham on I, Friday. I uh,
1: lost all my money, which was, you know, successful day <laughs> out. I'm terrible at gambling. Thank God I have no interest in gambling. Otherwise, I would be a very poor man.
0: There was one point where you just stopped coming to watch the races because you're like, no, nah, I can't be arse anymore.
1: <laughs> well, I, ju- I just gave up. Do you know, it got to a point where I was like, right, I'm going to bet on the favourite just to have that feeling of winning. You know, just that. And then the bastard bloody finished 7th seventh and he was the
0: favorite
1: <laughs> what the hell's going on do you have any success
0: no no i mean i'd had one one winner one winner in a day of absolute tragic loss <laughs> yeah no i lost everything my mind my money and my soul oh good um, here. but um we went to bristol and jess came to co-host because will couldn't be arsed to get on a train to bristol nevertheless we had a Unbelievable chat with the incomparable Rachel Bell. Rachel is the outgoing chair of Women and Property. She's also a senior director at Stride Triglown, a infamous architecture brand here in the UK, and she tells us her story. Yeah, very exciting.
1: I've listened through to the podcast and it's not one to miss, especially with the director of defence.
0: <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, Rachel Bell. How are you?
2: I'm good. I'm absolutely freezing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, today we have, we have Rachel, your first time with the podcast, and also Jess, your first time on the Rule Number 1 podcast.
3: It is,
2: yeah. How,
0: how does it feel?
3: It feels good. Yeah. It feels good. I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and I've always thought I'd be really good on one. <laughs> I, I I back myself.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Rachel, listen, thank you so much for taking the time out of your what I can only imagine is the busiest day of anyone I know because from the from the bit of stalking and research we've been doing, you have more job titles than anyone I know. So I'm gonna list <laughs> a few of them here. We've got head of business development. Director of Defence, which is my favourite one. Director of Infrastructure. Board Director. Chair of Women and Property. I mean, which hat do you wear and how do you decide when?
2: <laughs> uh, it just depends on which minute of the day it is. So, yeah, um, I think people do look at my diary and just think, how on earth do you do it? But I love it. I absolutely love it. And I love everything I do. So Amazing. First
0: steps. Well, I guess with your incredible rise in your career to where you are now and all of the work you're doing, especially on the women and property front, We've got a lot to talk about, okay? But firstly, it would be great to know, what did you want to be when you grew up, when when you were younger?
2: Yeah, I thought you would ask me yeah. this, and I was thinking, <laughs> oh, but it would be really boring, wouldn't it, to say I wanted to be an architect, so... No, that wouldn't be boring <laughs> at all. I, I um, There was a lot, that through my early life, I talk about in terms of my dad was an electrician, my uncle was a developer, and so I had those influences. But thinking back to actually uh, like GCSE in, at school, I don't know if everyone else had this survey that you had to complete, which you kind of, you know, it was a random tick box exercise. And it came out that, you know, you might be an astronaut or a, or a, you know, veterinary surgeon or something like that. I think I had a radiographer, um, which I thought was was (laughs) quite interesting, but, So at one point I was diving off into investigating what that actually meant and what it would be, and then I came back and thought, no, actually, I want to do something in construction. Uh, At my wedding, my dad stated that when I was two years old, I climbed up the ladder and joined him on the roof of our house when he was doing the work, (laughs) and he turned around and I was sat there behind him. And I I just think, yeah, it was always in my blood. Uh, I needed to do something in in the industry, and uh, yeah, that was the way I kind of approached it.
0: And you didn't want to be an astronaut?
2: Oh, I, do you know now, actually, I think, oh, that, that you know, you see all these space f- films and things like that. And I just think, yeah, there probably is really, really exciting things that you could do. But no, I, I absolutely love design. I love drawing. I love making things. And that yeah. was what kind of, you know, sold it to me and, and thought, actually, this will, this will kind of, you know, really, really excite me. So.
0: so talk to us about your entry into the world of architecture.
2: Yeah, so I took a little bit of a different route, as you kind of might pick up on of various things that I do. Yeah. I, uh, I don't necessarily follow the right, you know, or not the right path, I follow a different path. We can talk about squiggly careers and other things, I'm sure, at some point. But <laughs> um, I took a BTEC in construction. Right. So, I mean, at GCSE, I did pretty typical. I did CDT and art and graphics and because I knew that I wanted to do something around that. It was then when you came to A-levels and I was thinking all of my friends did A-levels and they went to particular college and I was just thinking I really don't want to do that necessarily, more because of the dependence at that point on one exam and I wasn't sure what subjects I wanted to do. So, I went and spoke to the construction department at the college and... I thought, yeah, this is really good because you get to do surveying and you get to, you know, do all this maths and science but and technical drawing and things. So I went and did the BTEC in construction. For the first year, there were two ladies on the course and then uh, the other lady dropped out. And, yeah, I was the only lady to get through the whole course.
0: Flying the flag
2: but I absolutely loved it and I probably got the best scores out of everyone else on the course and I just thrived in that, that situation. Yeah. So at that point, though, when it, at school, our careers teachers said universities won't accept a BTEC for architecture. Oh, right. Even though, you know... I'm sure they would have um, at that point. They were considering it. But the advice I got specifically was, no, BTEC won't, won't cut it. And I just thought, fine, actually, that's what I want to do. I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, six universities accepted it. And I went off to Bath University to study architecture. Amazing. Um, oh, wow. Amazing.
0: Yeah. And then from that point, was it a, a master's you did? Or you did, a, you did a bachelor's first, then a master's? Yeah,
2: it was bachelor's first and then a master's. I mean, it's a long haul.
0: Yes, you did a BTEC in construction, then a bachelor's in architecture, then a master's in architecture.
2: And then you have to qualify as well. You have to do that final part three. So architecture qualification is in three parts.
0: No wonder you have seven different job titles. Well, you weren't them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. would reach degree. If only then the pay actually reflected it. <laughs> you, uh, this is a joke that we we talk about when, it's not really a joke, but, you know, when we talk about careers in schools, you say that, you know, a surgeon who, you know, doctors and surgeons have, have you know good salaries, good pensions, and... Um, and yet they can bury their mistakes. Whereas an architect, you know, their mistakes are out on display. So, yeah, Agreed. Yeah. You can understand why it takes, you know, a long time a long to time. qualify. But yeah, it was eight years to get qualified. Oh. Wow. So yeah. It's commitment. It, that is commitment. Yeah.
0: That is that's unbelievable. That's a that's a long time. So but are you you're working alongside that from the majority of it, right?
2: Uh no, no, no. So the first four years, uh, At Bath, it's a sandwich course. So in your second year and third year, you have a six-month placement out, which is great because you get out into the wide world Mm -hmm. and you can experience, you know, big practices, small practices, go and just find out, you know, what it's like to be in the world of work. So you do get that, whereas other universities, you do a three-year course and then have a year out. Uh, Then you do go back for either a year, 18 months, two years, depending on where you go. And then you get into you know proper work. In between the part one and part two, you can have placements and things. You can take time out as long as you want. And some people just do the part one and then think, actually, I've done enough Uh, and and, and people do part two and think, right, Okay, I'm not going to qualify enough Uh, because part three is a long slog as well, because you have to do all the legal Mm -hmm. um, structure. and, And then, you know, from where we went at Bath University, it was two, three hour exams and an interview and case studies and dissertation and all, you know, loads and loads of other work.
0: And when you went to do your, uh, you know, your bachelor's and master's, were you again the only, were you the only woman? Was there more than one?
2: No, 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 there was a good split. Okay. I mean it's much better now. And I'm talking to students quite often and they're saying, well, what's the issue about diversity? You know, it's a 50-50 split at university. So I think it is in a much better place, but there was, you know, a small percentage of women, um, but, you know, we yeah. were as good as them, so yeah, I mean, why not?
0: Well, I think, you know, and we'll definitely talk about this later on, but, you know, I think it isn't the problem. The problem isn't that entry level. It's when you get further on in your career, that's when the problem starts to appear.
2: Yeah, I think there is still, and I've spoken to to Jess about this in terms of, I think there is still a stereotypical issue that we can address at five to seven-year-olds when they're starting to look at the people's careers and, and, you know i give the example of um, something that I've used in one of my talks many years ago which was uh, a video that you can search for which is about kids drawing pictures of, of like a firefighter and a dentist or a doctor yeah. and of course they're all drawing and they're saying this is Bob and this is Stu and this is David and and then they bring in people in those uniforms and they take off their helmets take off their hats and everything and they're all female and they're laughing thinking nah this is not ha-. but of course yeah. you know these could be females in those roles so it's challenging that stereotype and i think that comes back to us actually talking about what we do in our jobs and if people haven't like myself that haven't had family who have been in that that industry reach out to them and make sure that you know they are then aware of of what's out there and yeah there's loads of stats at the moment about the careers that will be here in the next 10, 20 years don't exist now. But there are, you know, we're seeing it in terms of gaming technology and and other other industries that are influencing what we're doing. And it's really exciting that things can change.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think when you're little, there are like three jobs that you know about. It's like a lawyer, an architect or a doctor. And that's like whenever someone's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you're like, a lawyer or an architect and no one really knows anything about it um so it's really good to like young start introducing that idea of like you can be an architect like you don't you know anyone can be an architect as long as you're willing to study for half Eight your years. life <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah. like you listening to you talk about your education is just like yeah I'm really glad I didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> I respect you for doing it but I managed four years at uni and never again, never again. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't drag me back there.
2: Yeah, and, and people go on to do like MBAs and things. And you just think, oh, you were just an internal student, which is fine. But yeah, yeah. I, there was no way that I could go back and do anything like that now.
0: So you finished all of your studying. And then you, from what I understand, you joined um, Stride Treglowne.
2: I did. So I, I actually joined them in between my part one and part two. So right. just doing a six month placement. And yeah, I just it, I really enjoyed it. It, it. The previous placements I'd done during my uh, second and third year were at various different size practice. So I, I tried a small practice in Taunton. And then I tried a really, really small practice, which was literally just uh, one person. That was too too intense, and I can imagine. And I think actually they employed me because they had children, so they wanted me to look after their kids, uh, which was just a like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) These are the things that have happened, and that's when your
3: career as a babysitter really took off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah,
2: so I was like, I did have to go have to go and uh, fetch him from school now and then, uh, but I got to use his yellow little Fiat kind of crazy car, which was. (laughs) no so i i thought that was not what i wanted so i went to strike ground at that point there were about 80 in bristol and they had a number of offices uh, we're now at nine offices and there's about 350 of us so it wow. has grown over the years but it was a practice that i kind of just saw that there was lots of opportunity lots of different things yeah you mentioned defense earlier so i can talk through all the things that i've done and and that's what's given me the The kind of the platform and the ability to just try different things. You can go in to try that in other practices, but actually where I am and and with them, I've been able to do that.
0: Now, shoot me down here. When I hear of a title like Director of Defence, the first thing I think of is is the US government, but I'm presuming that's not your role. (laughs) Uh, But does that involve obviously working with the likes of the MOD and doing all the defence contract work?
2: It does, it does. That must be exciting. It is. I mean, we were having this discussion recently, actually, the... That people have the perception that it's not glamorous, which it isn't. You know, these are functional buildings which are f- to train people to do you know some really serious things.
0: I find that I find that really exciting.
2: But yeah, mm. so when you think about you know the helicopter training simulators and oh, um, cool. you know, we were working and I actually uh, did some feasibility studies down at uh, Yeovilton, right? And it was about them you know flying the helicopters and and just how they train all the pilots and things. What's not exciting about that? And yeah, even I if agree. it is a big shed, but actually it's how you plan everything inside it. So, yeah. So the, the defence sector is, is a small sector for us, but it's growing. There is more work in that area at the moment. And it's something that I've been really interested in. Uh, so I ran the team for four years doing that back along and have now picked up more of a, a role leading, re- leading the team. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it all and very hush-hush? Are you, like, tied down with, like, NDAs and yeah, yeah. So it is about security. Uh, so, yeah, we have to have security passes, ways of storing the information. Uh, yeah.
0: And then putting your director of infrastructure hat on, is this, I, I see, obviously you did some work with Heathrow Airport back a while ago. What's that all like?
2: So this was another complete sidestep that I took in my career. So squiggly careers. You yeah. don't, I mean, everyone has this um, idea that you follow a linear path. And architecture, I think, is with the part one, the part two, part three. Everyone gets qualified. You then start rising through the ranks. At one point, I, I think this was just after I qualified, and I was thinking, right, okay, what's next? What do I do? And um, we'd had a few secondments up to Heathrow, and they were looking for another design manager to go up. And I just said, I really love that. I have a passion for aircraft, and I'm a bit of a plane spotter, a bit of a train spotter as well.
0: Amazing! I'm definitely not a train spotter, but I love uh, commercial jetliners. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So I, I uh, one of our holidays, I chose to fly on an A380 just Amazing. when it was when it was launched. Yeah. Um, and just to go and you know experience the biggest you know yeah, yeah, yeah. aircraft like that. So uh, yeah, things are like
0: incredible. So
2: my interview when I went up to Heathrow was on one of their business um, parks, literally by the runway.
0: So you were in In your element. In an
2: office, which overlooked the runway, and I'm just sat there going, I've got to get this. I've got to get it, because it was the most amazing time. I was up there for about nine months, just when T5 was opening. I wasn't working on T5. I was working on Terminal 1, which... Which no one ever goes to. Well and I think it's <laughs> demolished now anyway. So um, but they were spending, you know, a huge amount of money on refurbishing it. Uh, I was working with Grimshaw architects, so the the ability to work with, you know, an outstanding, really well known architect there. And I was I was essentially working for the client, guiding them on looking at check-in desk design. And of course, we were dealing with an existing terminal. So T5 had these amazing new concepts, but we were having to fit in all this old equipment onto old desks. And so it was all logistics and just working with loads of stakeholders. And it was was an absolutely incredible time to be in the airport. And yeah, yeah, I did a lot of passenger trials up at T5 and things like that. It it was really good. I really enjoyed it so from that i picked up um the aviation infrastructure sector yeah and infrastructure for us is more now around ports and a small bit of aviation yeah yeah
0: and in your current role now then as i guess board director and head of business development what what does your sort of average day look like what's what's rachel getting up to nowadays
2: <laughs> it's frantic absolutely frantic i mean apart from the last two years where I've just been sat at home uh, <laughs> doing back-to-back Teams, Zoom, Google Meet calls yeah. uh, before we hit COVID, I was racing around the country. And for me, it's about our partnerships with businesses. It's partnerships, whether it's the client, contractors, other consultants, it's working with them as best as we can to find opportunities and and, you know, look at exciting new work that we can do together but also to talk about when there are issues and have that trusting relationship so that you can raise when things are going well but also if things aren't going so well that you can talk to each other and say yeah. right okay we need to sort this out
0: yeah and what would you say is looking back on your 20 odd year career in the industry what would you say is the absolute highlight or the sort of real pinnacle of your work to date
2: oh well i'm counting if you pick down. One, okay. yeah. I think I, what date are we today, the 23rd, so I'm seven days, no, no, five days away from handing over my national chair for women in property.
0: Ah. So,
2: 1st of March um, last year, I became the national chair for women in property. And although that's not my day job, you know, it's all voluntary. It's on top of my day job. That, for me, has been an amazing platform to help support women in the industry. And I've been a member of women in property for... 15, 16 years, I yeah. joined after I qualified thinking, right, I need to find these other women out there to have to <laughs> connect with. And that goes across the industry. Yeah. And um, through those years, I've got some amazing friends, some really good support network, but also opportunities and a really good platform to build my career on. Yeah. So that for me has been like, an ultimate kind of like I've looked at these national chair uh, in previous years and thought right okay I, I never thought I'd actually be it but then when I was approached I was thinking oh my god wow okay and this year has been incredible working with each of the branch chairs all across the UK and and looking at the types of events the types of support people are looking for and, and just raising the profile um, of women in the industry. So. And what
0: what would you say is the main is the main function? Of women and property the main sort of role that it plays?
2: Uh, there, It has lots of parts to it so the I suppose the the main part that people will see is the events and the networking yeah. but there are a number of aspects like the mentoring the student awards the outreach we do with schools colleges universities there are a number of other things and also the all-party parliamentary group so the appg there's a women and work aspect to that and we've been feeding into a number of the research and and events that they've been running over the last two three years as well so it's an influencing organization and but most importantly for me it's about connecting people and and providing them with with that network and people that they can reach out to yeah Mm. it's like that
3: element of support and just People knowing that there's somewhere that they can go and people that they can talk to who can help them expand their network yeah. and so forth. Yeah,
0: I think it's really interesting that you know the women in property, uh, just the idea of it. Because I know obviously the article Jess that you wrote that Rachel you so kindly helped with, and one of the things you, you know the, the the title of it was "I'm not a female architect, I'm an architect." Yeah, you know, I wonder when when will come the day when the need for things like women in property or when's that going to stop? Yeah, you know.
2: I, I'm quite often asked that. And actually, I was on a call this morning, walking up and down the canal in freezing weather here, <laughs> um, talking to someone to explain what is the purpose of it and why is it still needed? But when you look at some of the stats, even though we've just said, you know, there's a 50-50 split at university, we were just we were saying that it, it's people rising up through the industry and actually retaining them in the industry. Yeah. And women in property can provide them that support sharing knowledge so when we were coming into COVID and lockdown we were helping people with negotiating furlough mm-hmm. um, and just giving them that aspect of support that they needed to you know if they were facing redundancy or you know they were looking for a new job and they didn't know how to reach out to them so you know there, there are many aspects as well as mentoring and I'm sure we can talk more about mentoring circle and other yeah, things that, that are happening but yeah that, that sort of yeah just who do you go to? Who do you call? Mm-hmm. So
0: let, let let's get into this because I think this topic is really interesting. In your opinion, obviously we mentioned that at entry level the split is is sort of okay. Yeah, there 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 are thereabouts. What in your opinion is the single biggest problem that's stopping women from staying in the industry? Because that's where we're seeing the problem at that senior level. You know what I mean? What 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 for you is the biggest hurdle, or the biggest problem?
2: I think. There are a number of things. Um, the culture of the industry, mm-hmm. um, the long hours or the perception mm. of the long hours. Yeah. And I think that is changing. You know, we are now in such a better place, yeah. but there are still things to do. So I think people are challenging back a lot more. They've they've found their voice or they have found the ability or they have found the support to be able to then go actually I don't like this, so why am I doing it? Mm. But I think for a while, people just found it too hard and just thought, actually, this isn't worth it. I mean, the pay, and I know there are loads and loads of things being bounced around about, you know, the recruitment at the moment, speaking to two (laughs) recruitment consultants, um, about, you know, the challenges on pay. And and people think, actually, you know, for the time that we've taken to train and the pay and hours and benefits that we're getting, really, is this all worth it? But actually, it's... I think people are passionate about the industry, and what we want to do is support what they can do in it, and then make them the best selves that they can be. So, give them, you know, the the ability to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you are
3: right with people pushing back as well. So many of the people I speak to now, they make a point of saying, you know, I want to be somewhere where the culture is supportive, where they are going to understand that I have commitments outside of work, where they're not going to be expecting me to be at my desk at 8pm. You know, if I've got, I've got kids to pick up from school, you know, I need that flexibility. I need the understanding there. And people are making a point of pushing on it. And I, I, it's really nice to see because it's I'm also speaking to clients who are so much more open to that and are making a point of saying, you know, we're looking at our core hours and we're looking at how we want to make things more flexible. And we want to make... The industry more accommodating particularly for for people coming back from maternity leave um, yeah. where their situation is completely different you know maybe they need part-time even if it's just for a period you know they they need that that understanding and that sort of mobility with how they work and i'm seeing so much more of that which is really nice
0: i think that's one of the, the really you know not many positive things have come from from COVID, but i think one of the really great things is i think it has really helped to strengthen the trust that businesses have with their staff. I think we, when we were thrust into that environment where we would no choice but to all work from home and do what we said we we're gonna do, it's shown businesses that actually, hang on a minute, we really kind of adopt the approach of, you know, once as long as the work is getting done, whether you do it in the morning, in the evening, mm-hmm. you know, when you whether you go to the gym at lunchtime, it doesn't really matter.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is it. It's the, the flexibility. So as a business, we have had for a, a long time, flexible hours, core hours. But even we've had the discussion recently about adjusting that slightly and what can we actually make better. And yeah, the whole words about presenteeism, so being in the office. Yeah. I uh, like that
0: word. I've not heard that word for presenteeism. presentee-ism. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, about being seen, essentially, yeah. and actually, you know, there's been a concern and stats about actually maybe women with their caring roles, and again pretty stereotypical, but they might actually have more duties or things to be at home, so Mm -hmm. they may work from home more, which means that they're not in the office, they're not seen in the office. Does that mean that they're going to miss out on promotion again? Mm -hmm. And have we actually taken a step back on that? But on the other side, the aspects about trust and being able to have that flexibility has been brilliant. It's been actually a good thing to come from for the last two years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. It gives people more the opportunity to... To just
3: make things work for them, and I think it—I think your work is better when your cultural life at the office is better, yeah. Because you're you're working more efficiently, you're engaged in what you're doing, and you're motivated, and the momentum is there. And yeah. I think that's that's what crucially clients need to understand. I
2: think going forward yeah. as well, like, and I think there's loads of challenges that we can come out from this. So I'm. I did a few blogs early in lockdown and I I said it was a bit of a circuit breaker for me because Mm. I was racing around the country. You know, I was seeing people driving hours and hours to go for like a couple of hour meeting. And Mm. it's like, well, actually we can do a lot of this. Nothing beats meeting face to face. Yeah, of course. But actually challenge back. And, you know, I have in my diary when I have my yoga classes and Mm. people know that that is really important to me. So, you know, I think that's, providing people the benefits of knowing that they can Mm. they can challenge back but also work out what their values are what they actually want to kind of get from it so
0: i think that's so funny you say that because i think there's a lot of people who you know back a few years ago if they did have say a yoga class at 11am on a tuesday they sure as hell wouldn't put yoga class in their diary you know they would have put really important meeting or something in there to cover us
3: gp appointment
0: yeah (laughs) every every tuesday (laughs) From from your side then, moving moving forward, you know, into this, I guess, dare I say sort of post pandemic life, what do you think the next gear changes, you know, from that sort of businesses need to do in order to really, really just make this this continue to push forward?
2: I think we're all finding our feet at the moment because we're even like this morning juggling in person to virtual calls to phone calls. So we're all... To podcast recordings. Absolutely, seven, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It's really exciting. And I, that's what I get the buzz from. You know, I'm now out traveling again. The fact that I was yeah. in Cardiff yesterday and London last week and things. So I think it's... In terms of what businesses need to do, I think I think just keep reviewing um, yeah. you know, the discussions that we're having around the board is still around right. How is agile working actually working, and are we really doing that now? Because it still is a bit hybrid. Mm. Um, we've got some, we've got a structure and a framework there, but we're going to be sending out pulse surveys to the staff to actually find out well how is it for them yeah. so we need we need to be hearing what actually people on the ground you know all the staff actually want to do here how is it going rather than making an assumption and i think we've seen through covid that you know senior staff find it easier maybe that you know they're fine working at home but actually we need to be in the office or at least be helping younger graduates coming through because they need to hear what we're saying. Um, you know, mm. you can learn from each other when you're together, but it's then being able to structure that so people feel as though they're getting value from being in the office, and it's yeah. not, You know, people have saved time commuting, all of those things. So yeah, I think keep reviewing and and keep moving forward because I think there is lots of positive things coming from it. But yeah, yeah we're still finding our feet.
0: Mm. speaking of positive things another positive thing to come really from the pandemic was the birth of the mentoring circle yes which is obviously uh, the lovely Vanessa introduced you and I yeah thank you Vanessa um how has your involvement in that been? Have you signed up for year two?
2: I have indeed. Yeah. yeah. So I'm waiting with bated breath to find out who my mentee will be. It's been absolutely great. And for something which I know was, was growing, you know, to, to begin with and, and it's just exploded. Oh, my God. Crazy. Absolutely brilliant. So the structure behind it is is fantastic and it is a simple concept. Yeah. You know, get, Get some senior women and get some graduates, match them up and go and talk. So, yeah. and I think for the commitment of an hour every quarter. You know, I mean, it's, nothing. it's absolutely nothing. So the people, though, that have been part of it, both from the mentors and, and the mentees, are extraordinary people. So even just connecting us all together. And we made, we made it in the summer to have a summer drinks party, yeah. which was fantastic. And I know the Christmas party, I think, might happen soon. Yeah, <laughs> and we're we're, yeah. we're like, coming up seeing, to March. Yeah, so, I like,
3: seeing February drink, like, Christmas drinks parties. And yeah, I'm like, OK. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so the fact that, again, just gathering people together is amazing but my experience with um kemi my my mentee has been brilliant and she has been an absolute star and it's just knowing that you can help someone in their day-to-day and yeah i'm you know people uh, hopefully will remain remain friends and keep in contact no matter what Mm. you know the the end of the first year and you think oh i don't want this to stop but yeah yeah, to be able to give that back to others is is great
0: and obviously on your um as part of our research, you know, your your blog you have about yourself or your bio on your um, on your website, you talk about your favorite podcasts. Naturally, you're going to have to change that to rule number one on you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Behind my own podcast, yes, <laughs> yeah.
0: shameless plug. Speaking of, you have your own podcast, Stand Tall.
2: I, I do. Tell us I all do. about it. So, for those that do know me, my mantra is Stand Tall. Um, you've obviously met me now, so you yes, know how tall I am. Yeah. So, I'm four foot eleven. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have heels on today. so. Uh, but for me, that's about leading the way or trailblazing or just trying to do something different or, yeah, standing tall and just believing in yourself and going for it. So... It's something that I talked about when I was the Southwest Chair for Women in Property back in 2017. It landed really well. Mm. Um, And so when I took up the national chair role, we continued that. And I wanted to, uh, I'd been been really getting into podcasts during lockdown. So my morning routine to replace my commute was a walk, a 40-minute walk, and I would plug into a podcast. Yeah. And I thought, I can do this. And uh, I had some uh, incredible people that I wanted to have a bit more of a detailed chat with. Yeah. And so, yeah, the Stand Tall podcast was born. So we have had season one. Amazing. Uh, we've had six episodes, I believe. And uh, we're going to be doing a season two as well. Um, right. So. Well,
0: obviously, stay tuned for that. And if there is out there who would like to be featured on Stand Tall, then you can get in touch with Rachel. We can give you her details. Rule number one. Coming to a close, I guess, which seems rather sad. um, Our namesake, rule number one. Okay, now I know you told us that stand tall is your mantra, but that's cheating if you pick that twice. You can't say that. Yeah, and I had to think
3: of a new (laughs) one right on the spot.
0: (laughs) What is Rachel Bell's rule number one?
2: I would say it's believe in yourself. And behind that, I think there's a lot about not comparing yourself to others. So I am constantly the whole imposter syndrome thinking I'm not good enough and I can't do this. And I mean, I do say yes to things and then suddenly think, oh, my God, how on earth am I going to do this?
0: It's exactly how you should be, though. Say yes, then figure it out.
2: Yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah. yeah, that's how I felt <laughs> with this podcast. I said yes, and I'm sat here and I
3: have no idea what I'm doing.
2: That's probably what I did yeah. as well. when Vanessa goes, oh, yeah, yeah, do this. And it's like, right, okay. Um, <laughs> but that whole comparing to others, and I think it is that, you know, you're your own person, yeah. your own beliefs, your own values. Do what you think is, is your way of doing it. And actually if it goes a totally different way, then so be it, that's your way of doing it. And I see a lot of people comparing themselves to others, and even myself comparing myself to other board members and what, what how they're doing it and how they're reacting. And really beating myself up thinking I'm not doing this, I'm not doing it as good as them. And and actually, yeah, I'm doing it my own way. And so I think there's a lot in that to, to just say, yeah, Follow your heart, follow your gut feeling. I go on a lot with my gut feeling um, if it's right or wrong. And uh, yeah, just give it a go. Amazing. I love that. Amazing.
0: Well, listen, Rachel, it has been absolutely fabulous to have you here. We obviously had grand plans of being outside the fabulous Bristol Temple Mead station and unfortunately we got moved on. So we are currently sitting on a back street behind Bristol Temple Mead station. Yeah, uh, we're in but St. We'll Philip's
2: Marsh, if anyone knows where we are. St. <laughs>
0: Philip's Marsh, you heard it here first. Um, and Jess, thank you for being such an amazing co-host. You are so welcome. You've been great. Yeah. Um, ladies, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. It's been really good. Bro-
0: So, Shippers, looks like um, you're out of a job.
1: Yeah, no, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Jess absolutely (laughs) smashed it with what was a truly riveting episode. Really interesting to hear all about Rachel's story and um, what one of my favourite rule number ones, I think. Believe in yourself. Yeah, believe in yourself and don't compare yourself. Fair. Know, that's why why you should stop comparing yourself to me when it comes to these recording the <laughs> podcast, Rob. Because one oh. of us is the star, the other one is the support act.
0: You honestly, mate, you're 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 wasted in recruitment. You should really be am. in comedy, in radio, definitely not in TV. Good. no, no face for, for the radio, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> well, listen, um, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you very much to our loyal listeners, and you will hear us again soon for another episode of Rule Number One. Rule.